the recognized symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. The superstars of wrestling is on the air. Hello, everyone. Chris Cabernet ringside along with Bruno Sammartino, wrestling's living legend. And joining us, the most colorful Jesse the Body Ventura with his sometimes biased commentary. Stand by, everyone. We have lots of action headed your way. We welcome back to the show today, Mark Dundadow and Stuart Roberts. How are you doing today, Mark? Uh, very well. Good to be back. Thank you. Yes, welcome back. It's been too long. Stu, how are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm good, mate. So I've been looking forward to this. And uh, yeah, great for us three to be back together because it's been quite a while, hasn't it? It has been quite a while. I can't even remember the last time we were together on a podcast. And we've got something a little bit different for you this week. Now, you've been hearing on recent shows what the UWF was up to in November 1986. But today... We're going to be talking about what the World Wrestling Federation was presenting on their relatively recently tweaked and new flagship WWF Superstars of Wrestling. So to give a bit more history, in September 1986, Superstars replaced WWF Championship Wrestling. And before that, WWF Superstars of Wrestling was the name of a weekly recap show hosted by Vince McMahon or Gene Oakland on occasion and Lord Alfred Hayes, who apparently had a rather large dong. Um, that lasted from 1974. Do you know that, both of you? Or what? is that just a fact I, didn't I know? know that, but I don't think it's particularly relevant. No, it's not. It's not relevant. It's not even in my notes, actually. But did you know that, Stu? What's that, mate? The large dong on uh, Lord Alfred Hayes. <laughs> no, I have to say. I what book that. is that in? Unless I've dreamt this, which is quite, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a niche thing to be dreaming about. But I'm sure it's in someone's book. Yeah. I, isn't it? Like Does that ring a bell? Dynamite Kid, someone like that. Maybe? Yeah, ma- yeah, maybe, may well be Dynamite Kid. Sorry, back, back to uh, Superstars of Wrestling. So they, they hosted this recap show, and then the new version um, was the program. Basically, as you two know, we grew up on this stuff. That was the big syndicated flagship. The majority of big angles and non-pay-per-view title changes took place on Superstars. So this act- this show actually began airing, believe it or not, in the United Kingdom in 1986 on the then-fledgling Sky Channel and later on Eurosport and Sky One, which is probably where we watched it later on. Um, so Superstars was the show for the WF really until Monday Night Raw was more heavily featured and pushed probably, what, mid-90s, 94, 95? Because I don't think Raw was even the number one show right at the beginning of it, really, was it? Superstars no, was still... right. Yeah, it was still the one. Um, so we're getting our time machine today to look at the show that aired on November the 22nd, 1986, two days before my fifth birthday. And this show emanated from the Broome County Veterans Memorial Arena. What a mouthful. In Bingham, Binghamton, New York. And this arena still exists this very day. We had Vince Juan, Jesse Ventura with a wig on, I think, here. This can't, wasn't it? It must have been a wig. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, it must have. <laughs> I, I could not get used to that. I could not get used to that hair at all. Up through the whole hour, nobody referenced it. Nobody no, I know. It. And I was like, it looked, I like a Davey, be... it looked like a Davy Crockett hat. It was, it was bizarre. It was bizarre. And um, they were joined by Bruno Sammartino. And then we got a heavy bass 80s track of my dreams over the opening credits, which you'd have heard at the start of this show. Um, what did you, Stu, you go first. What did you make of this opening sequence, the credits, the setup? You go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it felt, um, it felt very much a bit like, uh, a bit like UWF, but on a bit more of a grander scale. I, I thought the natty red jackets were certainly an eye catcher um, mm. that they were all wearing. Um, and and it, was, it was great to see San Martino there as well. So um, obviously that was before... Um, the 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 rift that they had but um but yeah no it was yeah it was everything that i expected they always sort of like go for those sort of like elevated stages to the you know a, a little bit further away from the ring don't they uh like yeah the WF of the 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 80s and, and maybe even going into the early 90s always that that way sort of like away from the ring so um but yeah and um uh, they certainly whetted the appetite for what was coming up on the show yeah indeed mark what did you make of this opener yeah, I, too. I, I was surprised that even back then, they still do to this day, they had the little um, thing before the music started. I think it was a voiceover saying the recognised symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. I didn't know they were still they were doing that as far back as 86. Yeah, um, I think, sorry, I think they, they oh, yeah. certainly changed it by 88, didn't they? Because they had the kind of flying over the horizon thing, didn't they? But yeah, yeah. I, I, I think, yeah. yeah, I hadn't even thought of that. But they, that's been a, a symbol of the WF for what? I mean, this is 35, 30, what is it, 36 years ago now? So, yeah, yeah all the yeah. way through. 
Um, Vince said they were at ringside, but um, they weren't. As Stuart pointed out. No. Uh, sorry, I'm I'm adjusting my setup here, which is probably it probably looks like I'm trying to squeeze one out on screen while I'm grimacing. Uh, anything else to add on the opening, Mark? Before we move on. No, no. Let's go for it. Good stuff. So this week on the show, we'd have the Intercontinental Title Match with Ricky Steamboat challenging the champion Randy Matchman Savage. Now, I've said this on the show recently. What for? What reason? I don't know. But I have an irrational like and preference for when they say Randy Matchman Savage rather than Matchman Randy Savage. You're nodding, Mark. Do you agree? Um, not so much with him, but I know I knew what you were going to say as you started. Yeah. And I've got it about some other things, like you sometimes hear the Hitman Bret Hart. That's that's not right. No, always no, no. Bret Hitman Hart. Yes, yeah. What do you think, Stu? Well, because you've got Randy Macho Man Savage, you've got Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. So I suppose, I suppose right, so you, you wouldn't say the Dragon Ricky Steamboat, would you? So, so like the way they, yeah, that worked for me. But Sa- Savage was Randy Matchman Savage, I think, until the turn in '89, and then after that, it was always referred to the other way, um, which is a bit strange. Well, yeah, but that was the, then he was the Macho King. Then was was he the Macho King? Yeah, then? not straight away, but I think he was yeah. Macho King by uh, was he Macho King by SummerSlam that year? I'm not sure if he was or wasn't. I don't think he was actually. I think he might have been Macho King by Survivor Series, but not SummerSlam. Um, I don't remember. I'd- It'd be interesting to look over some of his big matches. I don't remember Howard Finkel ever announced him as Randy Macho Man Savage. I think he was always Macho Man. Randy no, I, th- I think it was Randy Macho Man Savage. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, well, do you know what? I, I almost want to play this start of this to see what they said. Do you know what? I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Let's do that. I'm going to pause the recording a second and I get it up. And we're going to get it. I'm going to get it, get it up. You can see that on uh, mid, uh, patreon.com forward slash mid south moments. There's a lot of innuendo so far. And this is like carry on. Carry on Mid-South Moments. Right, I'm going to find this. Bear me one second. Right, let's find out. Oh, Matt Savage was out first there. Ridiculous. Skip back. Yeah, that's quite, that, that threw me a little bit, Savage coming out first. Coming down the aisle, escorted by the manager, Elizabeth, from Sarasota, Florida, weighing 239 pounds, the Intercontinental so tense. Oh, now I'm crying. Um, I would, we'll talk. We'll come back to that because we'll talk about um, how incredible Elizabeth looks. But yeah, Randy Matchaman Savage. So we'd also have the Junkyard Dog, a Mid South favourite, plus a result of the yay or nay in something related to Honky Tonk Man, which wasn't explained. Um, plus much more. We then got a promo from Steamboat who said, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. Wrestling Randy Savage for the Intercontinental title on television in front of millions of viewers and he'd be giving it his best shot. I thought this was simple. I, oh, Ricky Steamboat always gets a bad rap for not being that good of a promo. I thought this was pretty, this was fine, effective, I thought. For him. Mark, what do you think of this pretty much promo here? Yeah, the 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 positioning of it and the setup for it, it, it wasn't going to be a, an epic Oh, can you remember that time he said this? All it was was, you know, he's got a title match. He appreciates the opportunity and he's going to, he, he literally said he will give it his best shot. Can yeah, exactly. Stu. That's what it said on the tin, really, didn't it? Didn't it be anything, uh, um, you know, too, it was, it was fine. <laughs> no, it was. And I thought, I, and I think fine is probably, it's almost like I was expecting something, something worse. And actually it was just like a very baby face, I think it's we're used to, in, in, in this era, we're used to guys going out and doing a 15-minute in-ring promo about yeah. the upcoming match, as opposed to a little inset thing, and let's get all people tuning in for the match, not to hear what... Steve exactly. And this little I mean, thing just added a little bit like, to it. If you compare it to like the promos that we've seen recently on, on UWF, you know, like the Freebirds, they're all very you know, charismatic and stuff like that. That's not Steamboat's mantra, is it? He's a straight talking guy, really. I suppose that's all you can yeah. say, isn't it? So, so I suppose in the era of flamboyance and, and, you know, all the, all the pomp and stuff like that, you know, Savage with his overtop promos and stuff like that, it, it probably feels a little bit out of kilter to, to, to what you see in the eighties, but actually, you know, it did, it did what it needed to do. So. Yeah. And I think there's a, there's a space for someone that's just like, charismatic nice guy but not like a wet weekend not terry taylor in uwf recently um but just someone someone that you 
So it's the whole classic, isn't it? The, the guy you want to be and the and the guy the girls want to be with kind of thing. And I think Steamboat had a bit of that going on here. Um, we then got Randy's entrance through the crowd, which we just heard a little bit of, uh, flanked by Miss Elizabeth. Uh, Vince wondered why there were two referees in the ring, Dave Hebner and Danny Davis. And Vince speculated as to whether there had been two refs assigned to this match. In the end, Davis was ordered away by Hebner. And Vince, Vince said, thank goodness it's going to be Dave Hebner rather than Davis. And Davis had started working on storyline in 86, where he'd be biased in some matches and he'd be involved in several controversial outcomes favouring the heels. Uh, and this would continue into 87 until Davis was suspended by President Jack Tunney from his referee duties after favouring the Hart Foundation, their infamous defeat of the British Bulldogs for the tag titles. And did you did either of you know this? And I didn't know this. Davis, well, we know he was a wrestler, but he eventually returned as in, on probation as a referee in April 1989 and then played it straight thereafter. So they actually referenced that in the storyline. And I had no idea about that. Did either of you know, know, know that? You, you just taken out, you just took out 20 minutes of research there from <laughs> Oh no, I'm so sorry, Stu. <laughs> I was like, I, I'd like that because I, I made a note when I was going through making notes. Find out some information on Danny Davis. <laughs> and it's just been swiped in one swoop. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Mark, go, did you I, know this? I did know that. And I know how I know that. Because when I started tuning in in 91, mid-91, he, he was a referee. Hmm. So you know what it's like when you start watching it on TV and then you get a few of the old videos of old pay-per-views. That's how I did it. Um, when I was seeing like WrestleMania 3 and him wrestling, I thought, yeah. why is this referee guy used to be a wrestler that had never happened with anybody else yeah and it stood out and obviously i didn't have the internet to check but in years and he was, he that was, followed he... i discovered that's that was the story yeah and if i remember at wrestlemania 3 didn't he come out didn't he have like black and white striped tights on if i remember rightly and he uh, did yes because he, he teamed up with the heart foundation didn't he against the bulldogs and um tito santana tito I think? santana yeah, yeah 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 so um but I, I read an article about WWE did some articles all a few years back. Where where are they now? And he was one of the, um, and he was one of the, um, the, like the 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 people that they sort of like focused on and stuff like okay. that. And he was just saying about he still can't believe that he wrestled in front of. Uh, and I'm saying this although people can't see it in inverted commas, ninety three thousand people. Um, and just the total highlight of his his career really so but he'd been playing heel heel a heel referee well up for six months i think in the lead up to that so yeah um, so yeah so that was obviously a longer term storyline that they had planned yeah and i think that was that was something that the wf was very good back then and hopefully will be again um that's long term long term storytelling but um, they needed to do that though didn't they because at that time well in 86 they they would have only had two one pay per view, no, yeah, one pay per view, wouldn't they? Because yeah, the Survivor Series was eighty eight. Um, well, Survivor Series was eighty seven, wasn't it? Yeah. So you know they they had to start developing longer longer term storylines to feed in between the pay per views. Yep, absolutely, and also to their NBC specials and you know and, and getting Saturday people to live events, events exactly. That. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Ricky Steamboat came out next to Sirius by the Alan Parsons Project, a British rock band. And this song would be familiar to anyone who saw the Michael Jordan documentary on Netflix as it was used for a number of years, essentially the theme tune to the Chicago Bulls. Um, Jesse said he couldn't believe the World Wrestling Federation had put such a big match on television. He also said he wasn't sure Steamboat had ever seen a lady like Elizabeth, so perhaps he'd be distracted now. I think I would have been distracted. Elizabeth, surely one of the greatest women that's ever lived in the history of the world and looked particularly ravishing in this dress. What was it? It's purple and with green trim, I think. She looked lovely. No, it's the trim, but yes, it was purple uh, on the main. Yeah, this and it was, was lovely. It was, yeah. What what a woman. Um, there was a strange Vin, uh, Fink voiceover pushing a live event in Worcester, Massachusetts during the early part of this match, which was so grating. Um, the crowd was just electric for this. Um, and, and actually, as I was typing that in the notes, Vince McMahon said the same thing on commentary. Um, after about five minutes and 20 seconds of just really, really good work. I mean, this was seamless. You know, this this wouldn't have looked out of place on like a you know, modern, you know, AEW or high level NXT or WWE right now. These these two were incredible. Um, Steamboat hit basically um, at 520. They bumped the referee uh, when Sa Savage charged him on into the ropes. 
Steamboat then hit a, a chop from the top rope and Hebner tried to make the count, but Danny Davis stopped him. Ventura tried to make out that Davis saw that he was down and was just trying to help. Vince said on commentary that obviously Hebner had recovered. Savage got up and kneed Steamboat through the ropes to the outside while he was protesting with Hebner. Savage took Steamboat then and dra- draped his throat against the guardrail um, and he hit him with a double axe handle, which led to, I think, from the top rope. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Top rope onto the guard, got onto the onto the back of his head. His throat hit the guardrail, a spot that I'm sure many of you will have seen. And this led to the count out win in seven minutes and one second. But this was just the start, though. Steamboat looked like he was choking, and Vince said it looked like I was. Tr- Vince said it looked like that Steamboat was trying to swallow his tongue. I don't think he was trying to swallow his tongue, Vince. And I'm not sure what the opposite. Yeah, pretty much the, completely the opposite. <laughs> Um, Savage then went to the outside and grabbed the ring belt and went up to the top rope and smashed it into Steamboat's upper chest and throat area. Steamboat sold this like he was looked like he was in big trouble. And Vince said, keep that animal away from him. You could hear Hebner shout, get the doctor as the crowd screeched and Savage threatened to go up to the top with the ring bell again. Eventually, some officials came out to help Ricky as Savage taunted the crowd. And then Vince said Steamboat is hurt severely. They then struggled to get Steamboat onto a ringside stretcher as, as he was writhing in pain. He was then led away as Vince shouted, he can't breathe, he can't breathe. They replayed the axe handle from Savage over the guardrail. Vince went back to the swallowed tongue thing like he was absolutely obsessed with it as Ventura corrected him and said, no, his tongue's sticking out there. He's not trying to swallow his tongue. Vince was going on, Vince going on about the swallowed tongues aside. I thought this was tremendously well done. You got five minutes of the highest possible level of professional wrestling uh, between these two before a really violent and unprovoked attack of the challenger. And obviously this would lead to their huge showdown at WrestleMania three. Um, I thought this was great. Um, Mark, why don't you go first? What did you think of the match and then the angle afterwards? Uh, I was sort of hoping you were going to break that up into sections because I've made a go, go right back. Here. Cause I, I didn't know how, how else to do it. I yeah. just do it all. So you, oh, go you, back, you go did back as far an as you excellent want. job summarizing everything that happened. I, I agree. First of all, it was fantastic. I loved everything about it. I didn't even notice so much Vince's uh, gibberish. Um, so first of all, then the entrances, and I want to talk about Miss Elizabeth. Um, I mean, I love Miss Elizabeth and I always say she's one of the most naturally beautiful women to have ever walked the earth. There's no debate in that in my eyes. However, is she in you two's opinion, would you agree with me that she is the worst manager in wrestling history? (laughs) Um, I don't think she. I'm coughing at the thought of a disparaging remark about Elizabeth. Um, and, I genuinely and, can't think of a worse manager. I think that she didn't have to do anything. I think her. I think her. Um, when she tried to get involved in, in angles in WCW, I think Miss Elizabeth's role was to look a bit scared of Randy when he was the heel, a bit scared when he was getting beaten down when he was a babyface. And I think her facials, and I think her trying to do anything more than that just wasn't really needed. And I think she was so beloved. And I think that Savage was never quite the same without her. I think he was a much better heel. I think Savage is Savage in 89, Savage in 88 and 89, when Hogan went off to film No Holds Barred, Savage drew pretty well at the box office. They were they were still going up financially um, from year on year. Um, he did such a tremendous job of Hogan out the company. And I, I think that was the peak of his whole career. And that was the act, them combined, stick him in there with, you know, one uh, with Akeem or Ted DiBiase or Big Boss Man or whoever and beat him down and beat him down and beat him down and make the crowd think he's going to lose any wins at the end. And, I, and I, I don't think she needs to do much more. Shu, what did you think? Of, what do you think of that? Um I, I, again, I thought it was like you said. I think you summarised it. Perfectly. Oh, sorry, just on the just on the Miss Elizabeth bit because we'll, we'll jump back to, to Mark on it in, in, and then go back to you for the, oh, the kind of overall bit. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, oh, I mean, Elizabeth was, uh, yeah, for me, she was the first. You know, we I know they refer to like Missy High, the first lady, but she was the she was the one. I I, I was just thinking back to when she did the. Um, was it in the when they were in the mega powers and she and she whipped her she whipped her gold dress off or something or she whipped something off didn't she Which she whipped her skirt off, off at um, yeah. Summer Sam eighty eight yeah. yeah I mean she was I mean she was amazing and you know although I think um, you know Savage's time with with Sensational Sherry was 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 good as well and I think that elevated him in a in a different way but um, yeah we we all love the the ninety one comeback don't we and stuff like that and. 
sort of like followed a little bit into into uh, WCW, but I don't think it ever had quite the uh, I'll, I'll say that the, the pomp and circumstance of of Savage and Elizabeth in the late eighties, really, or the or the, the the mid to late eighties. So, no, um, so yeah, but yeah, she was she was fab. She was yeah, I, I mean the the Mega Powers. Um year-long run if you like from wrestlemania 4 to wrestlemania 5 was incredible and she was right in the middle of everything she was the reason macho man started teasing the heel turn and then actually did the heel turn and everything that was great but i mean to i to me she always looked every time she's on camera to me she, she never looks comfortable like she's flinching she's tensing up when savage was a baby face or a heel she never played up to the cameras during an entrance. She'd even ignore the cameras, which admittedly she wasn't the only one in the 80s. That's not what it was about. But, I mean, she didn't speak on behalf of the wrestlers she managed. She never interfered on their behalf. She didn't even encourage them during the matches. Even people like Sable had smacked the mat now and then and shout, come on, Mark, or whatever. But um, anyway, yeah, that was all my Miss Elizabeth thoughts. And then uh, I'd... I'd like how the two referees thing begun in that Vince uh, mentioned on air that there were two referees in the ring and they were arguing each other. But as Danny Davis left, Vince acted as though it was an innocent mistake. Like, all oh, right, there was a miscommunication somewhere. So things were back on track. But obviously, being a jaded wrestling fan that I am, I knew something was open. Maybe a dusty finish was on the way or something at the end. Um I, I liked I liked the action same as you, Steve. There was a really nice sequence early on with the steamboat leapfrog, baseball slide through the legs, body slam up into another deep arm drag. There was there were fantastic sequences all the way through it. Jesse Ventura on commentary. I, I always enjoyed over the years him pointing out double standards. Like he'd always mentioned Hulkity with rates, close fists, etc. Whereas the play-by-play guys would only highlight those things when a heel did it. Um, and there was a nice bit in this match where Savage went for a pin and Vince McMahon said, oh, no. And Ventura straight away, quick as a flash, who McMahon had described as being biased in the introduction at the start of the show, brought up how McMahon was the one acting biased there. So I liked that. I liked everything about the match. I, I knew there was a ref bump coming at some point, but I have to say that Dave Hebner got into position for that bump and took it perfectly. Yeah. That looked great. Um and then, yeah, it was it was only uh, because this was November 86, I didn't put the pieces together in my head until Macho Man dropped Steamboat, throat first on the guardrail, went up to the top rope. And I thought, this is the big angle yeah. that I saw on the WrestleMania 3 videotape that played up. And I didn't realize that all the way back in November, that's how it began. And um, uh, yeah, so that, that's all my notes on the match. I, I just thought it was a fantastic piece of TV. And I love how it goes on to be a part of the entire round. Yeah, and I think it's 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 um, people you know people people give a lot of plaudits to Hogan and Andre for that WrestleMania three. Uh, whether it was I I I I've said that, I think I've said this on the show. I'm more inclined to believe it was closer to ninety three thousand than the Meltzer number now because it was a le- it was a legitimate sellout in the Silverdome as of I think Friday. Uh, you know they wouldn't have put that out if they still had tickets to sell because it, it's just you know counterintuitive. And I think that the, the Meltzer number doesn't include the boxes, so it's 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 probably eighty, it's probably north of eighty five thousand that they drew. And I think that number two match was a big thing. And we'll we'll talk about this as the show goes on, and maybe in the conclusion. But if we were wrestling fans in nineteen eighty seven, and we were you know four, in our forties, what would have drawn? And we were three or four hours away from the Silverdome. What match would have drawn us to that? I think it's this one. Because yeah, I think I think we'd be, you know, I think the, I think we probably view Hogan a little bit like we did John Cena, but maybe not so much hatred. I don't know because there's a lot of wrestling to watch. Then was when during John Cena's kind of um, prime years. I know there was TNA and stuff, and you could if you you could tape trade in Japan, but it wasn't like you could sign up for New Japan World or AEW was a thing. You, you kind of were stuck with it, weren't you? If you're a wrestling fan, you either got on board or you got away, but. Back in the, in this time, you could watch UWF, you could watch NWA, you could watch World Class. So we have there was enough variety, but you, you we'd be buying the tickets to that show all day long. And I think if we needed a clincher, it's probably this. You're going to get one of the best matches of all time that, because of these two. Um, Stu, what did you make of the whole presentation, the match, and the angle, and everything that was involved in this? Uh, 
so yeah um i mean there's probably not a massive amount more to say than what you guys have said um and i don't dispute anything that 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 you've said at all um uh, i love the deep arm drags from steamboat throughout the match what I did like, what, what uh, Ventura said was, and, and you, you don't really tend to hear this that much now, Ventura recognised Steamboat as the number one contender for the IC title. So I really liked how they gave that the prestige, you know what I mean, the number one contender. And you don't really sort of like get that anymore. Um, you know, so I, I like that. Um what else did I say? Oh, I, I like the Savage Flying Body Press. That was reversed into a pin by Steamboat. That was really good. Yeah, crowd, was just, crowd were just absolutely wild. And obviously the way Steamboat skinned the cat and then you know, the near two count, then that followed the ref bump. Um, so, yeah, the thing, <laughs> the, the only thing I'd say was, and I, and, I did, I, and I felt it was a little bit sloppy, was the very, very end of the match when Macho was trying to get in the ring to beat the count out. It looked to me like neither of them got in the ring to beat the count. Okay, that's I didn't notice it, that. That's how it looked to me. It looked that that was a little bit sloppy. Um but I read this great I was, I was doing a bit of research on the match and I read this great description after after Steamboat had uh obviously he it, it had the drop across the uh the guardrail and stuff like that. Um and it was I think he I think someone described it as he was uh flailing around like a cod on a fisherman's boat, which I thought was quite a quite a nice yes. But I did do a bit of uh, I sort of read up a little bit then obviously because like like Mark, I didn't realise that this had started, you know, almost you know, you're talking five, five months ahead of ahead of the, the WrestleMania match and stuff like that. And I was just reading a I read an article that had an interview with um with uh, with Steamboat and and it makes me want to go back and watch this match. But he was saying that uh, they they the, their WrestleMania three match was seventeen minutes. Okay, but in that seventeen minutes they had twenty one. Uh, he calls it false finishes and stuff mm. like that. That's a hell of a lot in in that's like almost a pin every every minute. And it, he was saying like how that how that took the crowd on an up and down journey and stuff like that. So. Uh, and I was really surprised that the match was only 17 minutes. It feels like it felt like it was a lot longer. Um, but I suppose that is probably a testament to how endearing and, and, and uh, you know, what a, what a match it was. A, a legacy match, isn't it, really? You know, you'll, you'll, there'll be one of the, like probably the top five, ten matches of all time, possibly. Um, you know, but to have 21 near falls in that in that 17 minutes, that is that is some some amount really for 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 such a, a short match like that it was it was actually because when you said that Stu I I think I, I thought I think it's a bit short that it's 14 minutes and 35 seconds that match wow yeah and I think that the key thing what what did we say when we watched those Triple H matches they were all 26 minutes that's bizarre yeah. isn't it we picked three Triple H matches all 26 every minutes every single one that actually you wipe eight or nine minutes off that or even ten it's a much better match now Wrestling in, in this era is obsessed with long matches. That Randy Savage and Ricky Steamboat match, you it could have maybe it could have been a little bit better, but it doesn't need to be. You could you boxing is a great example of this, or UFC. You could have two rounds of UFC, it's 10 minutes, but it's a, the back and forth greatest fight ever, and they one of them knocks each other out. It doesn't need to be five rounds and something happens at the end, or boxing, three or four rounds of like war, and then they and then one of them gets knocked out. And I think variety is the spice of life, and it doesn't need to be. New Japan's particularly bad with this. Every single main event, 28, 29, 35. It doesn't need to be that long. Give us something a little bit different. Mix it up, mix the styles up. And I think that they nailed that. I mean, it's certainly the WWF match of the 80s. And I, and I can't think of a better WWF match. I mean, it's, it's on par with Bulldog and, and Brett at 92, I think. Um, and maybe you get through to then, what, Owen and Brett Hart at, at WrestleMania 10, maybe, is the next one. And then the, the match on that card. It is a controversial curveball for you. Go on. I actually preferred the Brett Bulldog match at In Your House Five. Well, I think it might be better, but I just don't. I don't. I don't remember it as well. Yeah. It's a great think? match. It's a I great match. Of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It did. I, I don't think it would ever top the the the, the SummerSlam one because of like it was just like the where it was and, and all that sort of stuff. But in, in yeah. terms of probably a, a wrestling match, I I. I lean more towards that one because it was 
I think In Your House 5 was, ooh, I want to say it was like a December pay-per-view, I think. But it was certainly yeah, late, it was, yeah. Late December 95, year, yeah. 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 Um, I think the thing with, um, not to go off too much of Tanner, I think the thing with, with Brett and Davey is that it's such a his- historically significant match and the setting. But actually, and I, I said this recently on the Random Wrestling Review when we did SummerSlam 92, I don't think that the match quite lives up to the um, how much, how much, how high esteem it's held. I don't think it's quite there. I don't think it's, I think Brett and Owen's better. I think Brett and Steve Austin's better. Um, there's another Brett one that Brett and Owen in a cage is certainly better than that. And I, you know, it's probably well, there were four times more people in that stadium. That, yeah, I think that's why it's remembered to it, exactly. And I'm probably Davy Boy and, and Brett at that that's that December '95 pay per view. Um, anyway, we'll get back to superstars. Oh, one more thing. Oh, sorry, sorry Mark. Just, go on, go on. Well, um, WrestleMania three was brought into the conversation. I did watch it after I watched this show and uh, did my notes. I was. I was in the mood of watching more Savage and Steamboat. Mm. And everyone remembers the final spot where I think it's a Savage body slam that he cradles through and gets the three count. But right before that, what I hadn't remembered was uh, Macho Man gets the ring bell, goes to the top rope to repeat that. It's um, George, the animal steel, getting the bell off him that leads to the final spot and the match. Yeah. So the build match, sorry, the match finish was logical to the build of the match starting way back in November. It's great. Absolutely. And George Animal still was involved with Savage all the way through from prior to WrestleMania 2 all the way up to this point. Um, so, yeah, again, lots of lots of um, continuity in the storyline there. Um, so after this big angle, we got a WWF update with Gene Oakland sat in a studio with December slash January on the wall. Um, he talks about Paul Orndorff being the number one contender for Hogan's title. A lot of things had been said, including in the December-January issue of WF Magazine. So I guess it was six times a year at that point. Um, Heenan went through various people who'd seemingly been interviewed for a piece in this magazine regarding who would win at the eventual title match. Bobby ripped up the magazine and asked Paul how he would compare himself to Hogan. He said Hogan was horse manure and he was ice cream. Not a good mix, that is. Um, He was the cream of the crop and didn't care what anyone thought about him. We then got some more great 80s bass to play us out. Again, I thought simple, effective, full of personality from both Bobby and Orndorff here. And Gene was great. Stu, what do you think of this uh, little segment here? Yeah, I don't think there's really... Yeah, uh, uh, I like the continuity. I like Gene wearing a red jacket as well. So that was good. Um, but yeah, it was, It was. you know, um, I've not really seen Wonderful speak that much. So it was quite nice to, nice to see that and stuff like that. And Heenan's just top draw all the time but yeah i didn't quite i didn't quite feel the horse manure ice cream uh combination there but um, no. uh yeah it, it was fine and uh, i did laugh when he ripped up the magazine and he chucked it up in the air and it all sort of like landed then back on top of him and he had to sort of like <laughs> brush it off didn't he and stuff like that i don't think he quite got the the crazy no. uh that he was looking for there but uh yeah it was it was it was a good it was a good promo indeed mark what do you think of this I thought some of the details we were given here was sort of conflicting because me and Gene said that Mr. Wonderful is ranked by his peers as the number one contender to Hulk Hogan's world title. And that seemed odd to me that um, his peers, being other wrestlers, would say another heel, let's say, oh, he should be the guy that fights for the title next. You'd think in a dog-eat-dog world like wrestling, it was an odd thing. But then Bobby Heenan's promo sort of contradicted what Mean Gene said because he read out a series of comments from that magazine in which wrestlers were saying Orndorff has no chance against Hogan. Yes, yeah, it was weird. It uh, I suppose both things could be true. Maybe Mr. Wonderful's the, the number one contender, but he's not going to win the, match, the inevitable match. But um, I, I wasn't as impressed with Orndorff himself. He, he seemed flustered and like he was caught out when Heenan, instead of just handing over to him, asked him a question. He actually finished his um, talking by saying, how do you compare yourself to Hogan? And Orndorff sort of stuttered. He said, I would compare Hogan as horse manure and ice cream. Uh, I'm the ice cream and I'm the cream of the top, is what he actually said. Oh, did he? I didn't didn't catch that. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, not not too impressed with Orndorff himself, but Mean Gene and Bobby Heenan, you you know what you're getting. They, They never put a foot wrong, really. Absolutely. And talking about never putting a foot wrong, we've got Junkyard Dog next uh, versus Al Navarro. Uh, JYD was out to his great song from the wrestling album, um, Grab Them Cakes, obviously. Um, Vince said he wondered if JYD could pick this crowd up after what they'd seen. 
uh, and that wasn't a knock on JYD. Ventura said there was so much money in wrestling now that people are going to take shortcuts to do what it takes. And Vince said solemnly that wasn't what it takes. Is that, did I get that right? I'm not sure I did. I'm sure one of you can jump in if I got that wrong. Uh, Ventura wondered what the decision was in the earlier match. Now, I thought it was a count out with the Savage. I thought that was clear, but perhaps they clarify that later. JY no, no, did... it was clear. I was surprised Jesse said that. Yeah, it was clear, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 JYD won this in 39 seconds, all of which I was typing for and not watching, so I had to watch it again. Um, JYD won with a power slam, which seemed to agitate the crowd a bit. As there were some boos, JYD then pointed at some children to come and join him in the ring. Um, before we go on to the next segment, Mark, what do you think of this? Um, it was a forearm, two regular headbutts, two kneeling headbutts, power slam done. Um, the only other thing was JYD brought those two kids from ringside into the ring to dance with him. And right as they were about to begin and have their big moment, they cut away to Bruno Sammartino outside Steamboat's locker room. They did. Stuart, any, anything to add on this one? No, only that Al Navarro lost all 25 of his WWF matches, which is hardly a surprise. Ah, what a record. Uh, so next you have Bruno San Martino backstage. And I guess his, his role is a bit roving reporter, somewhat commentator on this show. Uh, Bruno said he could not believe what he'd seen. Ricky Steamboat absolutely could not breathe. He, uh, Bruno walked towards a door, walked towards, crikey, get my tenses right. Bruno walked towards a door and said the menic met. Oh God! <laughs> no, walked walked towards a door and said the medics behind here right now. The medics are behind here right now. As one charged past him in what I thought was way too much of a comedic moment than what they were intending here. This was like something out of a like a bad comedy. Bruno then said they'd put a horn or some kind of tube for him to breathe. He said he'd never seen anything more gruesome in all of his life. He said, when they have more news, they bring it to us. And he looked really sad and stared at the ground. Now, I'm not sure how this came off in 1986, but in 2022, this was comedy. This was a comedy skit just straight after an angle, a really serious angle. And I don't think it was that Bruno was bad. I just can't really put my finger on it. It came like, it came off as like a sort of awkward clip you'd see floating around on Twitter where a reporter was stuck in a bad situation like, I don't know if you, either of you follow Accidental Partridge, but that's what this was like. Um, Mark, what did you think of Bruno in this bit? Yeah, I was, I was the same with you. He was, he was absolutely disgusted by Savage's actions. He made that clear. And um, I mean, the saying there was a tube they had to place down Steamboat's throat to help him breathe. I mean, that, that was a serious part of it. But um, yeah, a few... Get skipping a bit further ahead, a few of these updates Bruno was giving us were a bit grating and a bit uh, pointless. I thought, but I was that uh, was that situation was vindicated right at the end, which we'll get to. Yes, indeed. Ash, do you have anything to add on this? Yeah, no, I I, I, sort of, I agree with Mark. I mean, obviously, this was going to be that the, the uh, you understand why, why they put Steamboat on first because this was going to be the consistent theme throughout the whole program. Um, but for Bruno to say he's never seen something so gruesome, I probably challenge that based on some of his earlier matches. But there you go. Indeed. Uh, we then got a backstage promo for upcoming live events. And in walked in the heavyweight champion, Hulk Hogan, wearing a black bandana. What is this? And I, I thought that threw me as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought it had an image. I think it might have had an image of him on the bandana. I couldn't, couldn't quite work this out. But this was, I guess, still in a time when Hogan would experiment with his ring colours because he didn't always wear the the, the yellow and red that you know we became accustomed to seeing him in. Um, and this was still in the time that basically this was around um, promoting an upcoming match with Kamala, another old Mid South favourite, and um, not that he was a favourite of mine watching him. Um, and basically, the, Kamala and Hogan really did tremendous business at the box office for WWF. And Hogan said he wasn't afraid of no giant. Double negative there, Hulk. Uh, and then he said he had used, then he said he had had his pump. Oh, sorry. And then he said he had his pump back Boston Gardens and he did it in a Boston accent like John Cena used to try and put on and get cheered in his hometown. So that made me feel a bit, a bit unwell. He then said some questionable things about visiting a, a zoo in Boston and said they'd all find out who the king of the jungle was and he wouldn't let the people who had supported him down. Um, I feel like Hogan might have had some of the stuff that Tony Khan may or may not enjoy prior to a live dynamite dynamite uh, before this promo. Um, Stu, what did you think of this? Uh, I just thought, I, 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 like you, I thought it was very disjointed and stuff like that. I haven't really got too much to say on that. But what I want to ask is, 
have you guys seen those Twitter videos that's been going around about just that they've like packaged together all of Hogan's like heavy breathing when he does his promos <laughs> and stuff like have you you need to go they are just absolutely yeah. hilarious entire Hogan promos with all of the words cut out so it's just in breathing so it's just yeah. in, <laughs> like that yes <laughs> they sound they sound uh, peculiar but they are quite funny to watch actually so uh, uh, but but yeah going back to the event plug I mean Hogan was clear was very much giving Boston a huge plug um I lost track of how many times he said Boston in his uh in, in his promo, but... Um, well, yeah, I think this was for a match in Boston. So this, I, yes. whatever, this was, I guess this was recorded somewhere in, the, in that, in that yeah. northeast area. Yeah, but, um, yeah, it was all right. A bit yeah. disjointed. Mark, thoughts on uh, on Hogan here? Very energised well, Hulk. <laughs> when, he, when he walked in and turned around, yeah, the black bandana threw me, and then it, his sunken eyes... Uh, he, he didn't look quite right, and and I was pointing at my notes when you said because I've actually got the word Tony Khan written on here as well. <laughs> I wondered if he'd had maybe a couple of cans of Tony Khan special energy drinks. Yeah, wow, um, okay. But uh, yeah, he didn't say anything much of note. I didn't think. Um, he said if Boston had a zoo, he would climb in the cage for the biggest ape they have and fight it. But somebody should have told uh, the Hulkster that Franklin Park Zoo is only six miles away from the Boston Garden. Uh, it's been open since 1912 and does have gorillas. Okay, so he's chickened out of that fight then. Um, Vince then through to Billy Graham in Arizona, who would give us some words of wisdom. He talks about all the stuff surviving in the desert. Uh, he talks about all that doesn't make any sense. He talks about surviving in the desert and how he was back in the WF wrestling scene and how he was going to hurt somebody. Um, Graham returned very briefly in 1986 before it was determined he needed hip, a hip replacement operation. Um, he was out for 10 months before working a pretty full schedule uh, until uh, on his return until November 1987 when his career ended um, basically as a result of strain on his reconstructed hip and on his ankles. And he was originally scheduled to be part of Hogan's team in the inaugural Survivor Series. It was ultimately replaced by Don at Morocco. Um, anything to add on this weird little desert Arizona segment, Mark? No, I just noticed it noted that he'd um, he'd had one televised match in '86 before he went on the bench for another year. Yeah, not ideal. Stu, anything to add on, Mr. Yeah, Graham? No, I, I, similar to what Mark, I could only find that he'd had one match. So yeah, so uh, no, nothing really to add. Johnny Valiant. I think, I think. I think. Oh, I, sorry, you got I, Sorry, yeah. So I think a lot of this pro, you know, you started off with that big bang, and like I say, you're coming back to um, at the Steamboat and and Savage you know as you're going through the it it almost felt like the, the it was all fillers really to for this storyline wasn't it if you know what i mean oh absolutely so, yeah, yeah big time uh johnny valiant accompanied dino brano brad guys can't speak johnny valiant accompanied dino bravo to the ring for his match with kurt kaufman jesse talked about seeing dino bench 500 pounds and vince added well nearly everyone in the world wrestling federation can do that now and jesse shot back you can't i bet he could uh, we got the spooky Vink, Fink, Fink, who is Vink? We got the spooky Fink voiceover and Bravo won in 57 seconds after a suplex. I've got nothing to add here other than Dino's offense looked wretched. Uh, Stu? Yeah, it, it just felt like this was a, a match where the wrestler didn't do didn't do his, his, his finisher because it was just, uh, I got a chop, a side slam, a leg drop, which I have to say, you got some good height on that leg drop. So um, mm. a, a press, a clothesline and a back body drop. And that's it, really. So it was a bit strange because I'm, I'm trying to think what Bravo's finishing move was. Um, I don't know, actually. Back, it was a um, side suplex, which stood out to me because he did it at the start of this match. Yeah. Ah, sort of okay. lifting him up and dropping him side, yeah. side on. Yeah. Yeah, so I didn't really feel like he, he he won the match with his finisher. You know, it's just like, yeah. But again, Kurt's another one who, who I wouldn't say has had a stellar WWF career. What a wretched finisher side suplex is. Uh, Mark, anything to add on this? No, like, like Stuart said, it, it seemed like a couple of fairly big moves, but they were clumsily thrown together in no sort of order. I know it's the same thing. Uh, the last one happened to be a belly-to-back suplex. Uh, not good. No. Uh, our favourite comedian, Bruno Sammartino, then came to the desk and said he'd heard about these things where they had to put a hole in someone's throat and now they had to put something in Ricky's throat to save his life. Vince asked, is he on the way to the hospital? Bruno said he was. 
Another backstage segment talking about the Boston Garden show, including the Dream Team going up against the Islanders, Tamu and Haku. Haku said he wasn't sure if the former champion should be called the Dream Team or the Babies. Not a great insult there. Uh, Haku stumbled a bit here and said he wanted to fight real men and not babies. Tamu was better, um, though he said Valentine should bring a box of nails with him because he was going to need them. Now, I don't know whether what he meant here was he was going to set Valentine a DIY challenge during the match, like maybe put some furniture together. And if that, if I was in a wrestling match and they asked me to do that, I would tap out and leave immediately. Uh, Mark, anything to add on this backstage segment? Uh, I was still trying to decipher what Haku was on about, so I missed what Tamu said, to be honest. But um, yeah, he said the, the guy who wiped these babies bottoms it sounded like he'd either said Johnny Rotten who's the lead singer of the Sex <laughs> or Johnny Vaughan who was the former presenter of the Big Breakfast but I, I'm guessing he meant Johnny V whatever he ended up saying and, it, and I did think the camera lingered on them just a split second too long after they'd finished talking because they immediately dropped all the intensity and seriousness to zero and walked off uh, just as someone behind the camera was clearly heard saying thanks guys <laughs> That's probably the end of a long interview session. Um, Johnny Vaught, were you, were you two both big fans of Big Breakfast back in the day? Yeah, the Johnny and Denise era I like more than yeah. Evans and Gabby Roslin. Yeah, indeed. I love, I love Zig and Zag. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember it being a sad day when Denise Van Outen left and then when Kelly Brook left, it was less sad. But actually, it was equally sad, but for different different reasons. Um, Stu, anything to add on this uh, this backstage segment? No. <laughs> Good. Um, uh-oh, we then got an Outback Jack segment, allegedly with some Aborigines. There were some dancers. Thankfully, this lasted only seconds because I'm sure this was offensive in every which way possible. Um, we then came back for a Jimmy Jack Funk match versus Dick Slater. Dick Slater of previously with Dark Journey in, uh, in the UWF, playing a baby face. This was so grating. Um, Slater had an inset promo and said, he liked fried chicken and how he was going to show how mean this Southern boy could be. Not sure why liking fried chicken needs to be said there or how that impacts on his wrestling ability. Uh, Bruno was on commentary for this and he said, accident my foot about what happened with Savage. Um, Slater won with a nothing elbow to funk while I was on the floor in two minutes and 11 seconds. Uh, Stu, anything to add on this one? I, apart from the annoying break to plug the, uh, the the Boston event again uh, or the or the overtalk. Um, I thought this was pretty rancid, if I'm being honest. With yeah, you. rancid was, is a very good word. For I it. think it was sloppy from start to finish. The Dick Slater's punches were just, well, they were just, oh, God, they were awful. I wasn't um, a fan of him in UWF at all. Yeah, yeah at all. Um, do you know what? I can't even think of, I can't think of anything good to say about it. No, no, it I don't think there was anything. It was just sloppy, really sloppy. Mark, anything to add on this? Um, who, who thought Dick Slater being a babyface was a good idea? There's, there's nothing likable about the guy. No. Um, yeah, the, in his inset promo that come on, he said the word Southern a lot. I think that's that was his entire character, I guess, referencing fried chicken as well. Didn't say anything worth getting excited about. Howard Finkel ran down the matches for the Boston show again, and it was starting to feel like every single segment had a mention of the Boston House show coming up. Yeah. Um, uh, most of Dick Slater's offense was reverse elbows. He'd do a running one on the mat. He'd do a jumping one for the top rope. And he ended the match by dropping one on the canvas. That was that. <laughs> he, he dropped one on the canvas. That's <laughs> crikey. Sorry, I'm still getting over COVID round two, though. I, I just got, I've got a cough that won't go away. And um, probably why my voice sounds a little bit weird. Uh, we were then supposed to get a Piper's Pit segment with uh, Roddy and Kamala, but the tape then just skipped forward to a match. Now, I do wonder if this segment was so offensive that the person who uploaded this video decided not to not to put it on there, rather than this being a technological issue from the original recording 86. What do you, you could give me a one-word answer to this, gents. Do you think that's yes or no to this was not uploaded because of how offensive it would have been? Yes. I think it would have been close to the knuckle. Yeah, I think this has been got rid of because you wouldn't if you were taping this at home and this, you found this, you wouldn't have stopped the VHS and then started it. I, I, I think, yeah, I think this is quite deliberate. Um, I we did then, a bit of a YouTube search, see if I could find Kamala Piper's bit 1986. I couldn't, couldn't find, find it. it. No, uh, we then got a match probably for that reason. 
Uh, we then got a match with Billy Jack Haynes versus someone called David Vance, who we didn't get an intro for. There were boring chants from the crowd while Vince and Jesse argued on commentary. Haynes won with a full Nelson. And I wondered just how long this poor crowd had been sat there for at this point. Um, and Haynes, I think a babyface was booed after the finish. Uh, Mark, anything to add on this absolute classic? Well, like you said, it went barely a minute in total, but there were loud, noticeable chants of boring. So yeah, it just struck me that you've already seen JYD and Dick Slater, but now you start chanting boring. Um, yeah, one with his full Nelson, nothing to it. No, shoot. Well, I just thought this crowd had been watching Norwich play some games this season because that's exactly <laughs> how I feel that some of the games I've been to. So, um, yeah, um, no, not really. I mean, I thought it was quite a good full Nelson, actually. I, I liked when he, he lifted him off the floor, slung him around a bit, and um, and and that was it, really. So, um, but has anyone, I'm trying to think, has anyone applied a full Nelson better and I know, I know it wasn't, he called it something different, but I always thought that Chris Masters and his master lot was a pretty epic full Nelson. It yeah. was pushed well. Nobody broke it for like a full year or something. Yeah, that was a big storyline, weren't it? Yeah. Who did break it in the end? I don't uh, know. Well, Bobby Lashley, was it? Could have been. It could have been Lashley, yeah. Yeah, not sure. Not sure. Uh, why don't you, Mark, why don't you look that up while I yep. go on to the honky-tonk man bit? So we then got the results of the vote with the honky-tonk man that we didn't know what the people were voting for going in. So Jesse Ventura was backstage with him and explained that the time was at hand. The votes had come in on the big issue. Do people approve of the honky-tonk man or do they disapprove of him? 674,383 votes were cast. The real number was actually in that week's Wrestling Observer. Um, honky said... He knew oh, that, was, that was an attempt at a joke that didn't, didn't really land there. Honky said he knew people loved him. Jesse clarified that the number uh, that that was the number of votes cast, and only 71,111 people voted they liked him, they digged him. 603,000 said, We don't like your style, and we don't like we don't like your, your oh, crikey, I've messed that up as well. This has been a long week of podcasting. 603,000 people said, we don't like your greaseball style. Honky said that it can't be right. And he was going to get big fat tunny to get to the bottom of it. Ventura said he didn't think the greaseball could handle it. So this right here was in the midst of Honky's heel turn. As believe it or not, they thought this guy would be a baby face in the World Wrestling Federation. Um, I actually quite like this segment. Um, what did you think of this, Stu? I was wondering why Jesse Ventura is wearing an MTV T-shirt, to be fair. Uh, they'd done some stuff on MTV in 85, I think. I'm not sure if, they, if it was still going on in 86. Uh, okay. Um, yeah. Do you know what I never knew Honky was, was a babyface? I always thought he was the, the quintessential heel. So um, even then I thought he was still, I mean, he was certainly very much on the turn, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I've, I've always liked Honky. I think he's a great a great character in, in professional wrestling. So, um, so yeah. Indeed. Mark, what did you think of this? I, I thought actually it was something very different and, and I liked it for, for that, that the, 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 the pointing out the heel announcers pointing out that, well, whether how the crowd reacts to you, that's going to sort of uh, judge how you're going to go forward. And then Honky's heel turn came on the back of the bitterness from, and the fans not appreciating him. I don't remember anything like that, certainly before, and it's not something I've seen the same way ever since. No, I, the only, only thing that, I, that, that even sort of comes closer is, is when Rocky Maivere came back, and he came back as a heel, because, but not, not with a vote or anything like this. So, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was particularly... I thought this was good, actually. Um, our final match this week is the six-man tag of Hillbilly Jim, Tiso Santana, and former WWF champion... Pedro Morales versus Greg Valentine, Johnny V and Brutus Beefcake. Vince at the start of this said that Bruno had left his position to see if he could find out a little bit more about Ricky Steamboat's condition. And surely this poor guy had been allowed to go to the hospital by this time and wasn't sat backstage with Bruno San Martino trying to shove a tube at his throat. Um, Danny Davis was the ref for this and had a spot early where Pedro touched him and Vince talked on commentary about some of the iffy decisions that Davis had been involved in. 
Um, Pedro was 44 at the time of this match, and it had been nearly 13 years since he lost the WWF's version of the world title. Davis threw this out just over three minutes in when all six men were in the ring brawling and awarded the match to the Hill team, which drew big boos. Ventura said on the replay, it was obvious that the ref felt that the Billy T, Billy, Billy Jim, Billy Jim, yeah, Hillboy Billy, Hillboy Billy Jim. It's time Hill for Billy a long Jim. lie down. Joe, you know what? I don't think my seated position help is helping my cough, and that's what's uh, not helping my ability to read. So I don't think, I think this is the last time on a podcast lying on my sofa because it's not helping me. And there's all stuff behind the scenes that no one who's listening needs to know about. Um, Yes, so Venturis on the replay was obvious that the ref felt the hillbilly gym team had caused the melee. And as Vince pointed out, it was actually Valentine that got in first. Um, I was a bit disappointed with the length of this match. I thought this was going to be somewhat of a showcase, but it really wasn't. Anything to add on this, Mark? I think even Abdullah the Butcher would have looked at Johnny V's waistline of his trunks and said, that's a bit high in it, mate. <laughs> it was right up there. I've got exactly the same thing, Mark. Very distracting. Like really high trunks. His entire gut was nicely tucked into these uh, these tights. Um, yeah, Danny Davis called for the bell while all six men were brawling in the ring, but then he went out and raised the hands of the bad guys. So more Danny Davis shenanigans. Indeed, shoe. Um, no, not re- not 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 too much to add. Um, I'm just trying. I'm just reading through my notes here. Um, Rate the uh, eyes, yeah. No, no, just no, while you're really. doing that, Stu, uh, the Master oh, Muscle Gallon, yeah. um, began straight after WrestleMania 21 in 2005, and it went two full years until wow. after WrestleMania 23 when Bobby Lashley broke it. And I was oh, thinking, Steve, did you show. not go to the Raw and SmackDown after WrestleMania 23? We did not, no, ah, we right, did not, because yeah. it wasn't in it wasn't in Detroit. We flew to Vegas actually the next day. Uh, um, and I had the shits, so I couldn't go out <laughs> that night. So there you go. I knew you'd stayed on and I'd flown straight home on the Monday. But I didn't yeah, the, the, the day after I had, I got, uh, I slightly recovered and got one of the worst uh, bouts of sunburn I'd ever had. There's a photo of me in the depths of Facebook in Studio 54, uh, the nightclub in the MGM Grand that's no longer there, with a face so very red. Yeah, there is an extra part of that story, um, which I'm not going to tell on air. You can hear all about patreon.com forward slash Mid-South Moments. I might tell you both that off when we get off the air, actually. In fact, I will do. It's only a very short story. Um, Backstage, we've got another live uh, live event segment, including an interview with Bobby Heenan talking about the upcoming Pedro Morales versus Harley race match. He ran through Pedro's career honours and said they were all former, but now he's nothing. And when the king is through with him, he would be less than nothing. He also talks about Orndorff not providing interviews, which was odd, as he did earlier in the show. He complained that Kamala getting a shot against Hogan first while they had the junkyard dog. He said JYD was in the way in the way of something he dreams about, and that's managing the champion of the world. He said if they have to take the chain off the dog and drag him around the Boston Garden and housebreak him, then they will. Then they'll sit at ringside for the world title match, and whatever minute part of Hogan is left, they'll take. He told the Boston Garden to get ready to shout wonderful, wonderful. I thought this was great from Bobby, as you'd expect. Stu, what did you think of this backstage promo? Yeah, he nailed it. Loved it. So um, just, yeah, I could just watch his promos time and time again. So, yeah, um, fantastic. Mark, it always reminds me when he talked about, like, he's talking about the junkyard dog, that always takes me back to his Hall of Fame speech where he was talking about... Um, the WWF and, and and obviously how they had to change their name and then they started to rattle off, didn't he? All the all the different animals. Yeah, we've got a snake, them. we've got killer bees, we've got a dog. Yeah, yeah. Good. Great, great guy. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Mark, over to you. Uh the first part of my notes for this segment was guess what? WWE are coming to Boston on December the sixth. <laughs> by this point, I knew the whole card by heart, so we'd heard it five or six You've times. You've got to sell those tickets to live events, which is all about, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um but Bobby's a good choice for somebody to put a promo about it. Um, like you said, Steve, uh, Paul Ondorf's on a media blackout, which has happened in the half an hour since he, <laughs> he talked about it. Um, uh, typically excellent delivery by Bobby Heenan, particularly when he was talking about Junkyard Dog. I really liked it. Yeah, definitely. Backstage to Bruno after a snippet of a Taco Bake advert, Bruno said Ricky had been taken to hospital. His breathing was terrible and he was in agony. 
He said he and Steamboat's friends were waiting for more news. He called Savage Slime, and then Randy appeared and asked if there was any news from the hospital. He said he was really proud of himself, and then Bruno lost it and shouted at Savage. He was a piece of slime and grabbed him around the throat and pushed him down on the floor. And I just thought this was so great. Bruno couldn't take it anymore and snapped. After all the ridiculous segments, we then got the former, like, you know, top babyface world champion in this promotion, and he just lost the plot and threw him down. And this actually led to a little run of these two at live events uh, with four matches right at the end of 86 and into 87, including two days apart in, a few, sorry, two, a few days apart in Boston, the secular lumberjack match. Obviously, they had two sh- uh, shows pretty close um, uh, close together. Uh, what do you think of this, Mark? Well, um, seeing Bruno back at Ricky Steamboat's locker room door, still banging <laughs> on about the tube in the throat. I thought, here we go again. But then Randy Savage approached him and it, took a, a very good turn for the better. Um, I did catch the line Macho Man said to him was, have they sent that hot dog to the hospital yet? Put some uh. mustard on it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, he started bragging about what he did until Bruno screamed, you piece of slime, and grabbed him by the throat. They both went down. I actually jumped out of my seat when he did yeah. that. I thought it was excellent. And uh, I think it was SD Jones and Hillbilly Dream who dragged Bruno off. Savage ran off in the other direction. I just thought, what a great ending to this show-long story from the first segment. What a great finish to it. Steamboat's going to be off for a while, so Matcha Man could have that little run with Greenwell in the meantime. All made sense. Great stuff. Um, And then Vincent, Jesse reacted to it, and Jesse Ventura again used the word of the night, biased. Yes. And uh, and went from there. It's excellent. Yeah, this is really good. Stu, what do you think of this sort of show? Yeah, yeah. Angle here? Mark, uh, the continuity all the way through, and by, I loved it when he called him a piece of slime. Um, but I, I wasn't expecting him to attack him. That was that was a bit of a surprise, actually. So because it, it was Samantino that went for him, it was you know it wasn't the other way around, really, was it? So, um, but yeah, I, I, most of the most of the evening you could put to one side but i just love the golden thread all the way through from top top of the show to the bottom on this probably need to be a little bit more creative on the throat tube type thing because <laughs> got a bit sick hearing that but but in terms of a wrestling show you know certainly um spoil really in 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 that respect to get that sort of storyline playing through the, the whole hour really so yeah yeah definitely uh, Vince said next week they'd have a further report on Steamboat. He called Savage a creep, foreshadowing how he'd feel about him in future years, and said George Steele would be on Piper's Pit and Harley Race would be there. And that is it. The November 22nd, 1986 episode of WWF Superstars in the book. Uh, I thought this is quite a hard show to rate because on one hand, we had the hugely significant angle, show-long storyline leading to one of the bigger matches in the WF in the 80s, certainly with the best WF match in the 80s, which dominated the show. And the rest was just there, very little wrestling in front of what I thought was an odd and probably exhausted crowd. Uh, so, Mark, we, you, why don't you go first? What are your final thoughts on this episode of World Wrestling Federation Superstars? Yeah, like I said earlier, I'd previously seen clips of Savage attacking Steamboat's throat on, on documentaries and pay-per-view packages over the years, but... Seeing the whole story play out over this hour with a good match, which got some time, followed by the angle, and then the back and forth between Vince and Jesse Ventura during the other throwaway matches kept it going and ticking along, and then ending with Bruno Sammartino throwing professionalism out the window because he was so outraged and snapped at Savage at the end. I just thought it was a great hour of TV from that perspective. Um, but like you said, nothing else really left an impression uh, besides the fact that the WWF will be at the Boston Garden on December <laughs> the 6th for an action-packed night of wrestling. Yes, indeed. Uh, Stu, what do you think of this? Um, you, you you take the, the, the Steamboat match out of the card and I'd be struggling to give this more than a 2 or 3 out of 10, to be honest with you. Um, mm. But that, on that and that alone... I would probably give the show six out of ten. Yeah, yeah. I think that um, nothing else in that. There's nothing else in that show to to, to write home about, and uh, it it really did just play second fiddle to that that storyline, really. But again, it was um, you, you know it was compelling viewing really all the way through. Yeah, I think that it's probably not unfair to say that the WF 
supporting cast of characters wasn't quite there at this point. If you, if you fast forward to, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, if you pick any random episode of Challenge or Superstars, there's probably going to be someone on there who the push didn't quite, well, like a Dick Slater type, you know, push didn't work, don't really associate with WWF, never really got there. But I actually think if you, if you picked up a show from late 88, sorry, into 87, into 88 or 89, I think the supporting characters would be stronger. Um, whereas I think some of these, you know, a lot of these people were kind of washed out of the promotion in the next sort of 12 months or so. Um, and they would, they would continue to grow. But 86 wasn't a stellar year for WF at the box office. They were doing okay, but WrestleMania 2 was a, was a failure, really. And it wasn't until WrestleMania 3 and all the stuff that came after that and the, um, you know, the, the house shows thereafter where they really started to, you know, grow and grow and grow and were kind of off to the races again uh, after their initial success in 85. Um, but that is it. Anything to add at all, gents, before I do my closing spiel? No, nope, all good. No, nope, all good for me. Excellent. Right, that is it. I'm sure these gentlemen will be back on our airwaves again before too long. Plus, we'll have our regular prediction show at some point around the year end. Thank you both, as ever, Stu and Mark. Why don't you give a something? I was going to say a cheer then. Why don't you give us a cheer? <laughs> this is what you get. What? There you go. This Why would you, we cheer? I don't know. This is what you get when I do seven podcasts in the space of four days. My brain is fried. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we shall speak to you all again very, very soon.